Elementary kiddos, y'all can head out. Really exciting for me today as I was standing out on the, on the porch to see some of my old Young Life kids from many moons ago at Central High come through the door. So excited that some of those folks are here today. Um, we've been in the middle of a sermon series now for about the past eight weeks. Um, and when we started uh, our series on spiritual warfare and the lies that we believe, we, we took a look at two verses in particular kind of to kick this thing off. And one of them was in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12, where Paul wrote this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there is a battle going on all around us, angels and demons that are fighting for the hearts and minds of everyone on this planet, And the battle is happening whether we choose to acknowledge it or engage in it or not. It's a reality. Secondly, we observed the mission of Satan compared to the mission of Christ. Jesus in John 10.10 said that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So two very uh, different and competing agendas that Satan and and Christ have for our lives. And why did we say that the enemy is so hell-bent on destroying us? Who remembers? Why is he so hell-bent on destroying us? Yeah. Because we were made in God's image. We are image bearers of him. We were crowned with glory and honor. And so as much as he hates God, because we are children of God, that we were created in his image, he has turned his hate on us. Since he couldn't defeat Christ, he's trying to defeat us. Satan fears our glory. He fears who we could be when our hearts are fully alive. And there's a cosmic story we've kind of been talking about that's been playing out since the beginning of the human race. We live in a world at war. God is is pursuing us. He's diving into this world, trying to rescue each one of us from sin and death, trying to change us and transform us into the image of his son for his glory. And as his redeemed children, we've talked about that we have a role to play in this story, that our role is to partner with God to save many lives from this battle that's going on. That's the truth of what's going on. Every moment of every day in every corner of the world, the only question is whether we're in the fight or we're just kind of standing on the sidelines, uh, kind of ignoring it or just kind of oblivious to the fact that it's even really happening. After setting the table for our discussion, kind of big picture those first couple weeks, we spent the next six weeks talking specifically about some of the lies that we tend to believe, even we as followers of Christ. And these lies uh, keep us from really believing in who God is and what he came to do. They, they, these lies keep us captive in ways that maybe we don't even understand. Lies that taint how we view others so that we hang on to bitterness and hurt and unforgiveness a lot longer than we probably should. 
lies that lead us to want to kind of pull the victim card out and be like, why, you know, why is everybody, you know, beating up on me? It's not my fault. Lies that lead us to put up walls around our hearts that keep us isolated and defensive and kind of push other people away. Lies that skew our perspective on our circumstances so that we feel defeated or hopeless or trapped. These final two weeks of the series, I want to talk specifically about what do we do to fight the enemy? What do we do when we recognize, hey, we're under attack. There's something going on. (laughs) There are forces that are opposing my life right now. How do we talk? Uh, What do we say? How do we pray? How do we engage in community with other people when those battles are going on in our life? But first, there's a very important command in Scripture that I think is, is just kind of an important first step in order for us to act effectively, like we've got to understand this truth, this biblical truth. You see, God knew that our lives were going to be under constant assault from the enemy. He, he warned us about that. When Jesus came, he said, in this world, there will be trouble. It, it's going to get bad. Peter in his book, First Peter, he said this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You ever see people, I see people all the time, like they, you know, they're, they're trying to do good things and they don't understand why is this so difficult? You know, they're trying to reconnect or forgive a relationship and it's not going right or they're trying to get themselves out of debt and they just can't seem to get over the hump and you just go on and on with all these different situations that come up in our life. And it seems like there's something just opposing it, like it should be easier than this. (laughs) And we forget that any movement towards healing, towards wholeness, towards fullness, towards Christ, towards us becoming the person that God created us to be is going to be opposed by the enemy. He does not want it to happen. That's what the opposition is. Do not be surprised, Peter says, when those things happen. And so because God knew that life here was going to be a battle, he gave us this command, and we've looked at it. It's Proverbs 4.23. It's what our church is based on. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Of first importance in our life, our primary priority as followers of Christ is to guard our heart. Listen to what uh, John Eldred said about this command in his book, Waking the Dead. He said, it doesn't say guard your heart because it's criminal. It says guard your heart because it's the wellspring of your life, because it is a treasure, because everything else depends on it. How kind of God to give us this warning, like someone's entrusting to a friend something precious to him with the words, be careful with this. It means a lot to me. Our heart is a treasure. And at this point in writing the sermon, I had to take a pause and sing Bruno Mars for about 10 minutes. So I got a little distracted. But how do we know? I don't think he was singing about the same thing, though. Pretty sure. Um, How do we know that our heart is a treasure? Well, we know it's a treasure because it was ransomed at tremendous cost right? Christ laid down his life to buy back our hearts from the enemy. 
Look at this verse in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So God's actions show that he treasures our heart dearly. We, on the other hand, can be really careless with ours, right? We give it away to the things of this world, the pleasures of this world, the people in this world that treat our hearts as insignificant and ordinary and disposable. This past week, I tweeted out this quote. It's just a plug to follow me on Twitter. How would you live differently if you believed your heart was the treasure of the kingdom? Would you think about that for a minute? Many of us live like our hearts really don't matter, like we're not really that important, like there's really not much urgent going on in and around us, like we're not living in a battle, we don't have an enemy. So if you had to answer that question, how would you live differently if you believed your heart was the treasure of the kingdom, what would you say? I'm asking you right now, what would you start doing, stop doing? If you really believe that. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm going to help answer that question this morning. Yes, Sam. Okay. Okay. So you'd be more confident in, in who God says you are and that he loves you just as you are. Okay. Yeah, what else? Yeah, Devin. I probably protect it more. Probably filter what I watch and what I hear a little better. Since I'm probably let too much in the door mm. that I probably protect more. Okay. So he said he'd kind of maybe filter a little bit more what he allows his heart to, <laughs> the messages that are coming in, the, yeah, to keep it more just pure, just right for him. Somebody? Okay. Yeah. He said I'd fight more. So... Naturally, if you can believe that your heart is a treasure, then you have to believe that everybody else's is too, right? Which means that you understand that everybody else is fighting as well, has a, has a battle going on. So you're just more aware not only of your own need to fight, but also your need to fight for other people as well. That's a great point. I'd probably turn the TV off more. Probably not look at my phone quite so much probably value the person right in front of me a little bit more, probably pursue people a little bit more, probably ask for help in prayer a lot more. 
But we can't fight for something if we don't first realize how valuable it is. We can't fight for something if we don't first realize how valuable something is. If we don't value the institution of marriage, then when trouble comes in our marriage, we're not going to fight for our marriage very hard. If we don't value friendships and deep community, then when trouble comes in relationships and that person lies to you or betrays you or turns their back on you or whatever, we're going to be quick to kind of just discard that person or that relationship if we don't value and see what a treasure that relationship is and why God asks us to love one another so deeply, right? We'll just see it as, ah, just find another friend. Valuing things is so critical, understanding the importance of it. Likewise, we won't guard our hearts like our life depended on it if we don't realize what a treasure it is to God and how far he had to go to rescue it, right? Caring for our hearts is an act of love. Caring for our hearts, guarding our hearts is an act of love, and a lot of people struggle with that, honestly, because there's a lot of people, I'm not one of them, <clears throat> disclaimer, okay, who think that it's selfish to focus on their own well-being and their own heart. And so they spend their days just pouring out and trying to care for everybody else's heart, right, with sincere good intentions, but they ignore their own in the process. And those folks are well-intentioned but they don't last in the battle very long because they end up getting dried up and used, used out, right? I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 7. It's page 973. <clears throat> John chapter 7, we're going to look at verse 37. It says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Let anyone who is thirsty do what? Do what? Come to me and drink. There's several other verses in Scripture where Jesus says things along similar lines, right? He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your souls, right? Again and again, it's come to me, come to me, come to me. In this particular verse, it's come to me and drink, We, we guard our hearts by coming to Jesus and drinking the life, the, the goodness that he wants to offer us, right? So he can fill us, it says, with streams of living water, a wellspring in our hearts that's given to us. That, that, that imagery of wellspring is this continual supply, that it's not just enough for us, it's also enough for us to share with others, Come to him. 
You know, I coach runners, and, you know, inevitably, it's hot in the summer, the early fall, and we do hard stuff, run up hills a lot of times and all that. And if I have a kid at practice who's trying to give their best, but, but they're thirsty, and I say, hey, I've got a cooler right here, I've got a drink, I'd like you to take a break and take a drink. But their answer to me is, nah, coach, I'm good. I'm good, man, I'm, I gotta work hard, right? I, wanna, I don't wanna let you down, I wanna, I wanna help the team out as much as I can. Well, as much as I appreciate their spirit, they're not going to be much good to me or our team in about 15 minutes when they're dehydrated and dead on the side of the course, right? If your physical body is going to do the best it can, not only for yourself, but also to maybe benefit others, you have to take care of it. You can't just keep running forever. Likewise, in our spiritual lives, we are no good to others, if we don't care for our hearts first. It's kind of like the whole, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before putting it on your child, like on the airplane, right? And listen, the enemy knows this, guys. An, an uncared for heart is vulnerable to attack. Satan is just kind of milling around looking for uncared for hearts neglected hearts, dried up and dusty hearts to just be like, bam, I'm going in. This is going to be easy. Bernard of Clairvaux was a 12th century French monk, and he described Christian maturity as the stage where we love ourselves for God's sake. He's saying that we become mature in the Christian faith when we love ourselves For God's sake, meaning this, that because God considers our heart treasures of the kingdom, then we do too. We do too. So towards this end, John Eldridge in his in his book, he's he's talking about this whole thing, and he said that he's gotten into the habit of asking God a simple question. And and it's this each day he just kind of says, Hey God, what do you have for my heart today? What do you have for my heart today? Because you see, if, if you understand this, this idea that God thinks that our heart is a treasure, then he's going to be bending over backwards to, to give your heart the things that it needs to, to come alive. That's his desire. He's extremely interested in providing our heart with the things that will help it come fully alive. Because he understands that a heart fully alive is ready to battle, to engage in the fight. So we asked that question. Several years ago, I was, I was at seminary class in Colorado Springs, suffering for the kingdom. And uh, it was about Thursday or so, kind of towards the end of the week. And we had class in the mornings and we had some afternoon time off. And I think I was actually reading this book and maybe even the chapter that I was in, but it was kind of late afternoon, about three, and um, I just had this sense that God was just kind of pulling me, just kind of saying, hey, just get out of here for a while and just go, go on a hike. So I got in my car. We were kind of in downtown Colorado Springs. There's really nowhere to hike. That's very pretty there. So I just started driving up the mountain, and uh, 
got out, started going on this hike. And uh, I went for a while, I don't know how long, 30, 45 minutes. And I got to this spot in the trail where there was kind of this river that was coming down the mountain. And so in order to keep going on this path, I had to get across about a 10-foot stream that was rushing pretty hard that day. And uh, the only way you could get across it was to step on several rocks to get over, okay? No handrails. (laughs) And the rocks were all wet from the water rushing and splashing over them. And then right after where the rocks were on my left, there was a drop-off of about eight feet. And then at the bottom of that were these big boulders, like ready to crush my skull when I slipped and fell, right? And I'm not very courageous. I'm kind of a pansy. So I get to this spot, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, I couldn't see what was around the bend, okay, because there were trees right here, and there was kind of a drop-off here, so I couldn't really tell what was on the other side. So I didn't know, like, am I missing anything? Am I crossing this and going to be an idiot and kill myself on this mountain where nobody knows where I am, and I'm going to bleed and die right here? These are the things that I'm thinking. So and I, there might have been a shark. I'm not sure. I think I remember a shark. Kind of strange in the mountains. But so anyways, I wish I had a camera on myself because I had to look like such an idiot. Because what it looked like was this. And I'd get about a third of the way across the stream like three times I did this. And every time I was like, back it up, right? And finally, I just gave up. And the path actually kind of forked, so I could just go that way. And so I was just like, I'm just going to go this way. So I started hiking that way for about two minutes. And literally, one of the few times I really felt like I heard God's voice say, I've got something for you on the other side. And so then I had a choice. (laughs) Do I listen to the voice, right, or not? And I think I must have been bolstered by reading John Eldridge. So I was like, all right, I'm going in. And this time I I went, and I just didn't even hesitate. I just walked right across, and it really wasn't that big of a deal. And, And then I went about another 10 or 15 feet around this corner, and coming down this mountain was like, Five waterfalls just continuous coming down. And I mean, I don't know about you, but like there is not a more beautiful sight in the world, in my opinion, than like rushing waterfalls down a mountain. And like I record them on my phone just so I can hear that noise (laughs) and comfort myself when I'm sitting in my St. Joe office, right? I mean, it's breathtaking. It was so beautiful. And I just knew, you know what? God had that for me. And and I almost let the enemy rob it from me that day. God was caring for my heart. God knew that beauty like that makes my heart come alive. And he was like, this is just a gift for you today. And so he provided that for me. I go to this prayer center. Um, I went a lot um, before my kids got, made my life complicated. But... um, so, and beautiful and joyous in so many ways, right? I just don't have the time that I used to. So I used to go to this prayer center, and you could go on this prayer walk back in the woods. It had chip trail, and it was all treed off. And, 
And I used to pray when I would go there. And I would just say, God, just, I want to see a deer. I just like seeing deer. I don't know why. But literally 90% of the time, a deer shows up. The other days, I don't know, God's taking a break. I don't know what he's doing, right? But I'm figuring 90%, that's pretty good. I'm going to let that 10% slide, right? One day, Kristen and I were, my wife and I, we were sitting on, they had this, uh, out in the clearing, after you come out of the path, there's this uh, swing, a bench swing in a tree. And we were sitting there and we were praying, so our eyes were closed. And we opened our eyes, and literally from me to Eric here, we opened our eyes and there were three baby deer right there. I mean, freaked me out, right? You open your eyes and it's like, oh my God, you know? Cujo is coming to get me, right? Just really these three baby deers. But I mean, it was just like unbelievable how beautiful that was. And they just kind of paused there for a second. We tried not to move, you know, but just taking it in. How often do we miss that stuff? How often do we even ask the question, God, what do you have for my heart today? And how often do we believe that he wants to show up for us? Because it's not always going to be as stark as the beautiful waterfalls or the three baby deer right in front of you. It might look really different. It might be that song that comes on the radio or that verse that you read in scripture that day or that person that encourages you out of the blue or whatever. But God is extremely interested in caring for your heart. So why do I bring a story like that up, all those stories? Because caring for our hearts is an act of war. It's a way in which it's a blow against the enemy's schemes is what he wants to do because the heart that is weak is vulnerable to attack. It's too tired to fight. It's too quick to give in to temptation. But that day, that day up on the mountain and the following days and the weeks after that, I'm telling y'all, I was ready. (laughs) I was encouraged. I was inspired. I was fired up. I was like, Satan, bring it on, right? Because I had seen that God is good. I saw what the thief was trying to do to me that day. He was trying to rob me. And I saw God just kept pulling me, wouldn't let it go. He's like, man, I've got something for you that's gonna set your heart on fire, right? Another thing that I've learned about engaging in the battle and caring for my heart is that sometimes we have to realize that it's beyond our ability to do on our own. And sometimes we have to step into the lives of our friends who are drowning or who are dried up and they can't recognize it for themselves. Or maybe they're too proud to admit it and we have to insert ourselves and say, hey, you need help fighting the battle. The enemy is kind of kicking your tail right now, but I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to engage with you in this. I love this story in Exodus 17. Can you open your Bibles to that? It's page 66. Exodus 17. And it's after Moses has led the people of Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery, and they're heading towards the promised land, and they they come uh, to this group of people called the Amalekites and 
Chapter uh, 17, verse 8 says this, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And I just love that imagery of, of help and teamwork in the battle, right? They knew, Moses, man, we need you. Like, your heart is needed. And so Aaron and Herb were like, we are not going to let you falter. We're not going to let you quit and give in. And so they came and literally, like, held his arms up so that he could stay engaged in the battle. They knew how important Moses' heart was to this whole operation, And I don't know about you guys, but I have my errands and hers in my life. I have guys I know that I can call and say, man, I'm struggling. I'm getting beat up. I'm discouraged. I've lost some hope. I need help. I know there's guys that will be there for me that understand, Bob, you're too critical to what we're doing here. (laughs) You can't go in the tank. We need you. Do you guys have those people in your life? Are you those people to other people? Have you told people, hey, I'm, I'm your Aaron and your her? Maybe Aaron, her sounds a little, I don't know. Be, be there, Aaron. I love this verse in Jeremiah twelve five. It says this, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? What is God saying to us there? What's he saying? Nick, praise you, brother. Thank you. You can't what? Okay. Yeah, what else? Yes, man, it's like a firestorm back here. Yes, Shelly. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, if you can't handle life when the battles are relatively tame, how are you going to handle when it gets ramped up, right? Did you have something, Aaron? That? Beautiful. Anybody, somebody else had their hand up over here? Anybody else? Yes, Aaron. 
Okay, yeah, don't be oblivious to where you are, your, your present condition, okay? You know, basically that verse, God is warning us and saying, listen, guys, <laughs> it's going to be tough, right? You have to have a battle mindset. You have to have this persevering spirit because it's going to be hard. You have an enemy. Things are going to be opposed, don't be surprised when life is difficult. Don't be surprised at the fiery tests, the trials that are coming your way as though something strange were happening here, right? We have to live in a platoon of people who are fighting for one another. We have to believe that greater is he that is in us than greater than he that is in the world, right? We've got God on our side, right? We've got the victory. Above all else, guard your heart, Above all else, guard your heart. Guys, the world needs your heart. Your spouse needs your heart. Your future spouse needs your heart. Your children need your heart. Your friends need your heart. Your church needs your heart. My most important work as a pastor is to first understand how critical it is that I guard my heart. That I have an enemy who is hell-bent on destroying me. I can't care for other people. I can't counsel. I can't encourage. I can't teach. If I'm beat up and dried up and burnt out, Right? That so much so that I have nothing to offer other people. The enemy wants to take me out. He wants to take you out. Not to dinner. Out. <laughs> I'm serious. He wants to destroy you. And guys... Everyone in this room here has a role to play in the kingdom. The kingdom needs you. It's up to you on a personal level to care for your heart, to guard it, to know when you're getting dried up, when you're getting distracted, when you're worn out, when you're discouraged, and come to God and say, God, what do you have for my heart today? I need you to get back in touch with what's true and get those lies out of your head to invite other people in and say, hey, man, I'm trying to stay in the battle, but like Moses, I'm just tired. I can't keep my arms up any longer. Get underneath these things and help push them up, man. Be there with me. Help me. We need spiritual eyes to see what's going on. Could we get really distracted by what the world's, what these eyes show us? As we do communion today, I want to have this verse up here in Ephesians that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. And I want you just to meditate on it and just kind of let it soak in. I'll just give you a couple of minutes of silence, and then the ushers will dismiss you to come up for communion. We have gluten-free uh, bread and, and juice as well. Let me just pray for us and open up this time. Heavenly Father, we just... We just give you this time right now. Lord, it's yours. Our hearts are yours. 
Lord, we believe that you want us to be fully alive. God, that our heart is a treasure to you, that you went a long way to rescue it, to redeem it, to heal it, and you don't want it to be abused anymore. You want it to be alive. You want it to be full, not only so that we can glorify you and how we live and and that we reflect you well, but because other people need our hearts, need our hearts to be wellsprings, not just, you know, filled up half a tank, but overflowing. God, meet us today in ways that we need to remember that. Give us courage. Give us uh, perseverance to hang in there. Give us humility to say, I need help. Be with me in this. Help us to be good friends and be in there with folks. God, just hear our prayers right now.